Welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast series focusing on critical business decisions. Brought to you by Brady Ware and Company. Brady Ware is a regional, full-service accounting and advisory firm that helps businesses and entrepreneurs make visions a reality. And welcome to Decision Vision, a podcast giving you, the listener, clear vision to make great decisions. In each episode, we're discussing the process of making decisions on a different topic. Rather than making recommendations, because everyone's circumstances are different, we will talk to subject matter experts about how they would recommend thinking about that decision. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady Ware & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alpharetta, Georgia, which is where we are recording today. Brady Ware is sponsoring this podcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. So today we're going to talk about building an app, and not just the process of, of building an app. We probably won't talk a lot about the process at all, but, but rather the decision of, of, of getting an app. So lots of companies now are thinking that they're kind of left out. They're not in the cool kids club anymore if they don't have an app. And so everybody kind of wants one. But is that really the right is that the right decision? Is that the right place to put management time? Is that the pl- right place to make investment? And can it, is, it, is it really all that it's cracked up to be? So how do we go about making that decision? And to help us with that decision, I've invited my good friend, Scott Burkett. Scott is a 30-year veteran of the technology industry. He's the founder and chief executive officer of Incursus Incorporated, a boutique creative design and open source software solutions studio headquartered in Atlanta. Incursus focuses on four key areas, creative design, custom application development, managed cloud services, and technical due diligence. Team Incursus also recently launched TicketBurner.com, a web-based platform that focuses on customer service delivery by helping companies automate their business processes. Prior to founding Incursus and TicketBurner, Scott served as the chief technology officer for several companies, including MFG.com and Aptos Solutions. Scott was also the founder of wetcanvas.com, a large online community for visual artists, which is now owned by F&W Publishing, one of the largest privately owned media groups in the country. Additionally, Scott has been very involved in the Atlanta area startup community for the past 15 years and was the co-founder of startuplounge.com, one of the early advocates for fast growth entrepreneurship in the Southeast. So it's my great pleasure to welcome to the program and recently released from prison. That's right, Scott Burkett. Thank you. Thanks for being. Uh, thanks for being here, Mike. <laughs> well, I, I'm I flashing have to back be, but to the startup lounge days here. This is sort of a role reversal. When we did that it podcast, is. you sort of drove this, and I was the foil. So, well, that's okay. How does it feel to be Dean Martin now? Weird. <laughs> I'm like Dean Martin without the drink. Well, right? you know. Yeah. Well, if you say so. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so let's let's talk about. Even the word app is kind of a new term in the English language, right? So right, let's make yeah. sure we have the right vocabulary when we start. What is an app? When, when you think of an app or when one of your clients thinks of an app, what, what are we talking about here? Well, generally speaking, you know, when you hear the, someone use the word app, they're, they're, they tend to be referring to mobile devices, right? Your smartphone, download this app, download that app or whatever, uh, or maybe even your tablet or something like that. But, you know, it, I'm a software engineer by trade, so it kind of irks me when, when I hear app only being used that way. A lot, of, a lot of folks will refer to an app that way. But an app can be anything. It can be a web-based, you know, software uh, product. It can be a, a desktop app, an application for your desktop. 
Uh, so it's a pretty broad term, you know. It, but yeah, it tends to get uh, more love on the mobile side these days. And, and so, is, is that where that's now headed? Is every app a mobile app, or do you no, see that there's demand for? Apps in the, the more conventional sense. Well, I think you, it's hard to argue that the growth of mobile hasn't played a role in this, right? I mean, there's more you know mobile devices, phones, laptops, whatever, tablets than there are desktops. You know, just people aren't buying desktop; they'd rather buy a smartphone and a tablet, you know, than buy a desktop. Unlike you know, I'm a hardcore gamer as you are as well. Right. You're, you're more of a game historian, I think, at this point. That's than, true. Uh, than, uh, that I still play them. Long live Atari, baby. Exactly. But you know, I'll still have a I'll still have a high end gaming rig at home. Uh, you know, and use desktop stuff. But uh, most of the work that we do is on laptops or mobile devices these days. So okay. yeah, so that's uh, that's a big that's a big shift. So when, when somebody comes to you and says, you know, we we think we want to have an app for our company. Do, do you kind of walk them through the process? Is that the right path for them to go? Or how do you, how do you find the clients are thinking about right. that? What does that decision tree look like? Well, it's, it's complicated because every situation is different, right? Uh, the first thing that we try to do at Incursus is dig into what the business problem is they're trying to solve with it, right? Um, you know, we were talking at lunch here earlier about, you know, the cool factor behind apps. And that's certainly out there. Um, but the reality is, you know, 99.9% of our clients are going to come to us and say, we need to build something to solve this particular set of problems, right? Uh, and it could be to extend a web uh, application to the mobile device, or it could be just the Greenfield, you know, uh, app itself on a mobile device. But um, so you want to understand those business problems, right? And, and once those things line up, then you can kind of dive into what's the next step. You know, how do we prioritize these? How do we dig into them? And to make sure that their understanding of what a return on that investment is going to be is the same as your understanding of it because at the end of the day you, it has to drive some sort of value and you'd like to back think so to, yeah back to the back to the although owner, it is so. cool just to have my logo on my phone you have the lightsaber app don't you i do yeah, i do yeah you, hey it's a sword fight mode we could actually we could although yeah. it doesn't work as well on audio yeah i was gonna make a bad crossing swords joke but it's not did i just make a bad crossing it's, swords it's joke? not yeah. that kind of podcast that's right family friendly um so uh, so, so everybody's sort of situation is different, which which is kind of what we'd expect. So, is is it fair to to say that there are kind of two categories of apps? One is kind of outward facing. You're trying to have an app that is client focused, client fit, client facing. Maybe let clients interface with your company a different way, and then kind of an internal app, something that makes the way your client your company works or operates. Right. More effective and more efficient. Is there, that is that fair con- no, that, that um, is distinction? Fair. Um, there are, you know, the thing with the app store is it's a public, you know, it's a public utility. Effectively, at this point, right? You right. go into it and you find what you want. You pay for it or you get it for free and you download it. Uh, most companies are probably not going to want you to download their internal applications, you know, right. down from the app store. But uh, but we do see both. We do see both. Um, the biggest, I think, the biggest trend over probably the past, uh, I'd say, the past decade, really, as the shift to mobile happened, was you had successful web applications like Facebook, for instance, or LinkedIn, and those kinds of sites, uh, social media type sites in general, uh, that didn't initially have a mobile app. And the mobile adoption is a lot greater now than it, it was when those companies were founded. So, you know, mobile, the mobile strategy kind of came later for them, but that became a way to interface with a larger platform, you know, on the desktop, effectively. It's the same product, right? But you're, you're limited to a certain set of features and a certain experience on a mobile device that's a little smaller in footprint than what you would get on a desktop, for instance, right? So, um, but yeah, that, that shift is definitely there. Are we at a point now where you can realistically have an app that's not, doesn't have a mobile companion? Well, in that context, we we talk about uh, web applications, right? 
on the B2B side, if you're successful, you need to have a mobile app. It's just your users are going to demand it. In yeah. fact, if you don't eventually have a mobile app on in your B2B type web application, um, your customers are going to go find another solution somewhere else because mobile is that important in the enterprise now, right? Uh, my UPS guy who comes to the house and drops off packages, he first thing he does is he pulls out his mobile device and he's got access to all this back-end functionality at UPS and he's like flipping around doing all this stuff. You know, I, I try to sign my name. It looks like my kindergartner signs it when I do it with my finger. But all that functionality is all on a mobile device. That's a great example of an enterprise application on a mobile device, right? Right there. Not something you can download from the App Store, but, you know, but they have it. So, yeah. Okay. So, you know, apps... I mean, back in the old days, we used to call them software applications, right? right? That's or right. programs. So now the words have changed, but what we're creating is largely the same. Um, you know, d- does an app have to be something grandiose like PowerPoint or Microsoft Word? Is it something that can be fairly slim? And you know, walk walk us through that. You know, does does an app have to be big and hairy and complex to be valuable, or are there ways to do something quick and relatively quick and painless? I can tell you that ninety nine percent of the stuff that's on my smartphone, my iPhone here, um, was put there by my kids, and the vast majority of the things that are on there are simple, silly things that add zero value to my life. So the short answer is it doesn't really matter, right? There's an app for anything these days. You want to track your weight loss or whatever. And you're still doing all the work, by the way. It's not like you stand on your iPhone. I don't need iPhone. an app for that, by the way. Yeah, the yeah, the right, math right. there is not that complicated You don't stand on fast. your iPhone. I'm gonna, you know, I want to write a trick app that, that you, it's a scale for your iPhone. And you just stand on your iPhone and it'll, it'll yeah, right. I wonder how many people would do that. Um, but there are apps for everything, small, large, whatever. I don't think people have to have a vision of something being grandiose or lightweight. I think they have to have a vision that their app, and I'm speaking more in a business context here, solves some kind of problem or fulfills some sort of need in a marketplace, right? Um, so yeah, it could be a game. It could be just pure entertainment or just, you know, boredom, a boredom breaker kind of a thing. And those things tend to be kind of lightweight. But, you know, when you start talking about business-to-business enterprise-type integration, those things tend to lean towards the hairy side just by their very nature, right? Okay. So, yeah. All right. So somebody comes to you and says, Scott, we, we think we want an app. We'd like to have you build it. Right. You know, open the hood a little bit. What, what does that process kind of look like? Well, the first thing I do is I get out my incense burner. And I, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, that's um, what we do in valuation. You know, it's, the interesting thing about technology is that, you know, while technology has changed a lot over the past 20 years, just say 20 years, it's really longer than that, about 30 years, I guess, at this point. God, we're getting old. Um, the process by which you, you build it has nominally changed, right? Certainly, we have faster tools. We have better tools and libraries and, you know, integrated environments that we can build all these great things in. And that's condensed the time frame for delivery of building something like that. But the process is still largely the same. You've got to understand the requirements. Are there requirements? <laughs> what are you trying to build? If you just have an idea, you've got a lot more work to do. You know, you could come to me with an idea. That's great. And I'm happy to help you walk through kind of fleshing that out. But at some point, you've got to put pen to paper or, well, we used to do that. But, you know, put, put your fingers on the keyboard, as it were, and, and type up your requirements. What are the problems it's going to solve? How is it going to solve them? What are the benefits to the user? What, is, what, are, what are they going to reap by using this particular application? So, and it doesn't matter if it's on the web or if it's on a desktop or if it's a mobile app. The same principles still apply. Now, I, having known you as long as I have, I know you're a very creative guy. You've done a few things, I guess. Done, yeah. You've done literally done art websites. That's true. Um, That's true. So when you have that conversation 
or when somebody – I want to depersonalize a little bit. Is it reasonable to expect that if I'm looking for somebody to help me develop my app, are they – is the app developer going to then maybe interact with me and help flesh out what the business case might actually be, suggest additional functionalities? Or is it more like an order-taking process where I need an app that does A, B, C, and D, here it is, go? Well, to the latter, there's, there's a million people that can do that. Right. Um, you can go to uh, Upwork.com, find a freelancer offshore somewhere, send them a bulleted list of stuff that you want to build, and they'll, they'll build exactly that. Okay. Okay. Uh, and it'll be cheaper. By and large, it'll be cheaper to do that. The problem is if your development team isn't completely aligned with your business drivers and in those sessions and on the whiteboard and trying to understand how your business is evolving – and not just in a bulleted list, these are the things that are important to us, but understanding your customers and what they want. Um, you're going to paint yourself into a corner as, as, as a founder, you know, someone who's you're making an investment. Ostensibly, it's, you know, it's a, a chunk of your savings or it's you've raised some money, you know, maybe in a seed round or something like that. And you're trying to build something. The last thing you want to do is know that you just wasted $100,000 or $50,000 or whatever it is by giving somebody a bulleted list because you think you've got all the answers and you think that's all they need. There's always more to it than that. If I took a pile of building supplies and dropped them off on a lot that you owned and said, we're going to build a house, and you came to me and said, okay, here's what I want. I want three bedrooms, and I want two baths, and I want a, a sunken den. That's, all I, that's, that's my main thing. It's got to have these things. We'll, bo- we'll build it. We'll build the house. It'll have three bedrooms, two baths, and a sunken den. And then you're going to realize that you wanted brick, and you wanted one bedroom upstairs and not all three. On the, you didn't want a ranch house, right? So the house is still built. I did my job, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and so you, you run into situations like that. And more importantly, you run into situations where you realize you can't add an extra room to your house because of the way that the, the house was initially built, right? It wasn't right. built to be extensible. Right. It wasn't. We took up all of the real estate on that lot by building this house, right? If we add here, that's a support beam. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's a load-bearing wall. We can't take that down. Uh, so you think about that from a development standpoint. Um, developers, there's something called technical debt, which which may come up later in, in the in the show here. But technical debt is sort of uh, one of those things where it's the uh, you're familiar with monetary debt, all right? Certainly financial debt, right? It's very akin to that. Um, when you're building an application and you and a developer takes the easy route, okay. If you give me a bullet of list, I'm taking the easy route on implementing all this because I don't know what you're going to want to do a year from now or two years from now because I'm not in line with your business. So I'm going to build those things, and I'm going to take the easiest, fastest way for me to accomplish those tasks, and I'm going to do it. Okay? Just That's satisfy the debt. statement of That's work. That's right. Satisfy the statement of work. So fast forward a year from now, your business is pivoting or you're changing. You're getting into a new market. you got a new partner that you want to integrate with or something like that, and all of a sudden you realize you can't do that. Because you have technical debt, you have to now refactor and take all the easy stuff out and do it the right way, where you can open those doors into integration with other companies and things like that in your code. So when you think about giving someone a bulleted list, if anybody's listening to this that, that is in that, in, that, uh, in, that, in that mode, don't do that. Don't give someone a bulleted list and, and a check and say, let me know when you're done. That's absolutely the worst possible thing you could do. So one of the decision points then is – do I, as the person who wants the app, do I have enough time myself to engage in this process right. so that I get what I want? Right. When you well, put an addition in your house, right. a great way to make sure you're unhappy is to just send the contractor That's right. off, That's not right. oversee the work, not get progress That's updates. Right. Sounds like it's the same thing there. You there, can't just throw it over a wall. There's basically three, I guess, three ways of looking at building an app or three reasons or drivers behind it. Uh, one is you're writing something for yourself. 
which happens a lot with techies. Us geeks like to write tools that we use and, and we think are cool. And that's fine. You're the only user of it and you're happy. That's a success, right? Uh, or you're trying to monetize it and actually grow a business out of it and turn it into something that's a little, little bit more longer lasting than just you using a tool. Um, and then the third one is sort of the hobby market. You're making something for other developers to use or other tool builders to use you know, as a part of their applications. Um, when you look at the second one, you know, that, that example that you just gave about, am I going to have time to engage in this? Well, if you're writing it for yourself and you don't have time to engage in it, then I don't even know what's going on there. <laughs> the third one is it's a hobby. kind of falls back to the first one, which if you're not willing either to do it or you don't. You, you do it or you don't. If you're, if you're trying to monetize it and build a business around it, you either find the time or you don't. And if you don't find the time, you're just wasting your money. Okay. Right? You have to engage. I think you absolutely have to engage with your development. IT people and techies are not the same as they were even 20 years ago. They're, they have business degrees now. You know, they understand sales and marketing. They understand how companies work, at least on the surface, right? They can understand those business drivers and apply them to how are we going to integrate with those partners in our app down the road. Things like that are going to open up for them. So I think you, you absolutely have to find the time to engage with your development team, no matter what you're building. Okay. So, I mean, apps sound great. It's the way of the future. It's all cool. Why doesn't everybody have one? You know, a lot of people um, don't have a mobile strategy upfront. And I think, and, and we're seeing this as a little bit different now because I think mobile strategy is one of the first things an investor is going to ask you, especially if you're in the business to business side or building a, a web application that's going to have a lot of users. What's your integration strategy? What's your mobile strategy? That's one of the things they're going to want to know. And if you don't have one, it's going to be a strike against you, right? You're not thinking big enough. You're not thinking Right, because that's not where right? most of the devices are. And Exactly. And that's how we consume content, by and large, these days. I mean, I get my news from my smartphone. I don't watch the news at night. I mean, who does that anymore? I, I can't remember the last time I, I watched I do, the exactly. news. Do they even do that anymore? Is, is, is Walter Cronkite still alive? No, he's – yeah, right. That's the last news that I saw, <laughs> right? right? Paul Harvey and, and Walter Cronkite, right? So, yeah, uh, someone's listening to this going, they're Googling Walter Cronkite right now. <laughs> exactly. Who's Walter Cronkite? Going to the biography How channel. How do you spell his name? Yeah. So, um, no, I mean, people consume content on their mobile devices. So mobile strategy is important. I think maybe a decade ago, 15 years ago, mobile was um, – I don't want to say it was optional, but it was sort of like gravy. In fact, a lot of investors back then probably would look at you and say, you're thinking too big. What's this mobile thing? You know, I mean, it's, it's, the world has changed. Obviously, it's evolved. So um, if they don't have an app, then there's, there's either one of, a couple of obvious reasons for it. One is they don't want to fund it. That could yep. happen, right? Yep. Uh, they don't see the value, in which case you want to short their stock, I think, at this point, right? Okay. Certainly if it's a, an enterprise-type company. Um, and, and on the social side, I think any sort of social media app these days, application on the web, is going to have a mobile component. If not designed kind of in counterpart with the web platform, it's going to be built like shortly thereafter once they get all their integration points and everything sort of in place where the mobile device can communicate you know, to the web app. So, um, I mean, when LinkedIn and, and Facebook first launched, they didn't have web uh, mobile apps, right? Those came along later. So I, I don't know how old Facebook is now, but it's probably we'll get 15 years old or something like that, maybe. Something like that, yeah. Something like that. I mean, they went public in uh, – went public in – actually, fairly recently. went public in like 13 or something. So they've right. been around so, since yeah. six. Yeah, so there you go. Um, so – is is there kind of a tail to this? You know, it's, it's one thing to sort of build an app, but you know, I have a feeling an app is is not something you just sort of buy once and put away, right? You, That's right. You, you put a lawn in, you got to maintain it. Uh, apps tend to get updated if they're going to be around for long, 
So is is that is that the case that when when budgeting and figuring out if an app is right for you, do you have to kind of think about six months from now, a year from now, kind of what kind of long term commitment you're going to make to it? Any business has to think about that, right? It doesn't matter what your business is. You have to think about, okay, I know I'm going to raise this much money, maybe maybe nothing, and I know that whatever I have is going to get me to a certain point, at which hopefully I will have a product. And there's a revenue ramp, right? And at some point, your revenue is going to go up, and then you can afford to pay the bills. Uh, what a lot of young entrepreneurs tend to do, and I see this, unfortunately, more often than I want to admit, they just assume that once they get that revenue ramp going, that it's just cruise control from there, right? And they just basically are printing money. Right. Um, and that never works. It never works. When's the last time? It's not you know, that easy right. to become a billionaire? No, it's not. I'm it's not. shocked. It's absolutely not. Um, but think about your, you know, my, my iPhone, when I turn it on, every day there's updates to my apps, right? The ones that don't get updated are going to become deprecated over time. Users are going to abandon them, right? And, and this could, could be mobile, but it could also be on the web as well. It could be on the desktop as well. I mean, WordPerfect went under. Remember WordPerfect? Sure. Right? It was great. It was great. Well, Microsoft Office came along with its auto updates, and then everybody said, hey, this is great. They're adding new features to this incrementally. It's getting better. It's, it's improving. WordPerfect went the way of the dinosaur. They had a horrible interface. They never did anything to fix it. It's a sort of an antiquated analogy, but it's still it's, it's no, one it's of the true. examples. What, once you know? the old lawyers died out, that's right. That, that real because the lawyers were the last stronghold right. for WordPerfect, and once they died That's out right. and retired, the new generation grew up with Microsoft Office or now Google Docs. That's right. That's what they're using. Right? Users are going to demand a couple of things. They're going to demand that the bugs get fixed, and there's always bugs in software. It's just you know it's written by humans, right? Yep. So it's it, we're going to have those problems. Bugs get addressed in a timely fashion. Um, the product evolves um, as new opportunities and new technologies arrive. In the marketplace, your product, if, if it's applicable, has to be in a position to take advantage of those things and incorporate those into your application as well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here, but uh, I just bought a device called the Air Server, um, which is a little embedded device that allows me to stream Chromecast and AirPlay and Miracast from a PC, a Mac, a smartphone, anything, any sort of device I can screencast directly to my TV. Well, before I learned about this product, you had to have... The right sort of you had to have the right laptop. You had to have the right TV. Right. Apple with AirPlay. That's and right. Apple That's TV. Right. And... Exactly right. So something better came along, right? And it's one of those things. Something better is always coming along in this day and age. I mean, my Twitter feed is full of it every day. It's twenty new things that are that are launching that didn't exist yesterday. Yep. You know, and some of those things are going to fall out by the wayside. That's just law of averages, right? But the ones that make it, the ones that have long-lasting ability in the marketplace are the ones you have to take advantage of. And how do I integrate with it? It may not be applicable to everyone, right? Um, but when certain things come along, like single sign-on is another great example of that, right? Interfacing with single sign-on. Does your app want to take advantage of that? You know, how do you, uh, you've seen apps now that let you log in with Google or Facebook, yep. right? Easy. You just click the button and you're done, right? Thank God. It's great. Just typing right? all those things on a, with my That's fat right. fingers on a phone, <laughs> right. it's, a, it's a nightmare. And it takes you eight times to get your password right. Then you lock exactly. yourself out, right? But it's one of those things that – think about this. If your product was in the marketplace and you didn't have that capability, it's a seemingly inane feature, okay? It shouldn't be a make-or-break decision. But I can guarantee you people will say, why do I have to keep logging into this? When I can just, why can't I just click on the Facebook right. button and it authenticate me that way? Especially right? like it's, it's just a subscription to, to Reuters. I don't care right. if somebody pirates That's that right. account. I don't really care. I'm right. not paying anything. That's they right. can't post anything. That's right. It's it's not a high leverage. Absolutely discussion. right. So I think you have to, you know, as a, getting back to the question, I think as a founder, you've got a budget 
for the incremental advancement and evolution of your of your app, okay? Be it on the desktop, the web, mobile device, it doesn't matter. You have to constantly be thinking, how is this going to get better? Because that's what makes your business better at the end of the day anyway, right? How are you going to evolve as a business? Well, that involves dragging your product along, hopefully, right? Yep. So there you go. All right. So now it's time of the, pro- not the, time of the program to go negative. Uh-oh. And what I mean by going negative is um, I like to talk about, about times when people when, – when Customers or not even customers, companies have built apps and they've just failed. Okay, right? sure. Why do apps fail, and what can we learn from that? Where you know maybe it was just not a good decision on the part of that company to commission the app in the first place. Well, we're we're speaking here obviously in the business context. If you're writing it for yourself and it fails, that you don't even use your own tool, then that's a, a you problem, right? right? That's not a that's not a world problem, right? Um, but you know, there's a, there's a couple of things that it comes down to. Um, if a company's generate or building an app, uh, we'll just use a mobile app in, in this particular case, uh, and maybe it mirrors their web application, right? Um, they're not seeing the adoption rate, for instance, going up. Now, if your if your web app is successful and your mobile app is not, now that that's a different problem. Okay, that tells you that your the core product that you have is valuable and people are using it on the web but they're not using your mobile app. Maybe the interface stinks. Maybe the usability stinks. It's not worth it. It could be bugs, you know, things like that that, that need to be addressed. Um, but it all comes down at the end of the day if, you know, to outreach and marketing, getting your, getting your app on the mobile side the same exposure that you, your, your web application is getting in that particular instance. And, and when we say a business context, that's generally what we're talking about. It's a Facebook with a website or a web application, and they've got a mobile component to it as well, that type of, uh, of pattern. So um, if, if they've got to look hard in the mirror and ask themselves why it's not working or you know, why it's not getting the adoption. And that's true on the internal side too, right? If that's you right. launch an app for internal use, you've got to make sure people – know about it. That's right. There's got to be an incentive for them to use a it. Policy. Ultimately <laughs> a policy. Could, it could, right? be, could be a policy. Right. It could be there's you remove whatever process there was before, so they're forced to use it. Right. But the worst yeah. thing you could hear as a developer, yeah. as a software engineer, is that people aren't using your app. They'd rather use email. That's like the worst really? thing. Yeah. This, it's, it's too clunky. It does this. It's too slow. Whatever. It's just easier to send the guy an email. Okay, so that's what they do, right? Right. And and email is like you know everybody wants to kill. Everybody's been trying to kill email for for twenty years. They right? have. They, well, it's they ha- died more often than rescued. It, it, exactly. I know, right? It's got it's got it's on its twelfth life at this yep. point, right? Um, but the reality is, when that's your fallback, your fallback is it's just easier to send an email. Yeah, you got some issues with your app that you need to sort out. Yeah, it brings up. I'm not going to attribute the name because I don't necessarily have permission. But I was at a conference. Oh, come on. I was at a conference a, a couple of months ago, and there's a venture capitalist there. Yeah. And one thing that he said that I'll never forget was great advice is that is that um, already good will always beat might be better, or good enough will always beat might be better. Is there a question in there? Or do you? <laughs> no, it's just it's, I'm asking for a reaction. I mean, is that, I, I is think... that the, you know if it's if something you got like email is already sure, good enough, sure. right? Something that has now a learning curve that has some risk to it, if right. it's not clearly better, right. it's just going to get dumped off on the side of the road. They'll go back, like you said, to right. email. Well, you know, I think, I think any founder would, would agree that their business plan paints a perfect picture of how things could be better or should be better, right? right. No, no business owner is going to say, well, my business plan does a poor job of telling you how great that you know, this product is going to be. They probably go too far in that regard, if anything. Um, I think I think that's applicable sometimes, you know. I mean, it's, it's the old "if it ain't broke, don't fix it" kind of kind of mantra. But um, but there have certainly been plenty of applications that have come along that have made 
getting tasks done or achieving certain goals, accomplishing something, adding value in ways that were it was easier than before. Uh, case in point, look at LinkedIn, right? When LinkedIn, before LinkedIn, you either, I either knew you or I didn't. Yep. Right? I, I, I either could call you on the phone right or send you an email because i had that information and email and email contacts were closely guarded like that was your rolodex right yeah. like the little black book that we used to have in the 80s right with all the phone numbers written down on them it was the same thing you guarded your contacts that was the big, business development people made a killing because they would go from one company to the next and they bring their basically their book of business with them because they had all their contacts right yep. well that's gone now Right. By and large, it's gone. Still relationship driven. A lot of industries are. But if you think about LinkedIn, if I wanted to to connect with someone to ask them a question or invite them to come on to a a panel or speak at an event or whatever my reason is for reaching out, I can probably get to them within, you know, within a day. I can probably get my message in front of them pretty, pretty, you know, quickly. Right. So before LinkedIn came along. That didn't exist. That capability didn't exist. Now, imagine yourself as an investor, and it's kind of hard now because we, LinkedIn is just part of the fabric now. We just Everyone uses it. But think about maybe 15, 20 years ago as an investor, and some guy, Reed Hoffman, comes to you in, in, in California and says, I've got this great idea. We're going to connect the world on the Internet, right? And, and what? Okay, it's a big idea. I get it, but no, you burn them for witchcraft. Exactly, it's heresy, right? What do you mean? I just, you know, I'm, these are my contacts. I'm not going to share them with other people and that kind of thing. Well, the world's changed, right? So I think I think there's some applicability to what that investor told you. Kind of either way, though. Yep. So um, a, a lot of apps are now made offshore, and I don't know yes. if your company uses offshore or no. not. It's not relevant to the discussion. Um, but if if I go to a shop and they say that they uh, they tend to use a lot of offshore labor, wherever it is. Could be India, sure. could be Ukraine, could be uh, you know, Philippines. Sure. Um, should I be concerned? Is that a, should that in my mind be a disqualifying feature in terms of selecting who my developer should be? I think it, I think it's going to come down to to one key factor here, and that's money. Okay. okay. You can certainly find a country that'll build your app, probably off of a bulleted list, like we I cautioned about earlier. Um, you know, and you save some good money if you find find the right company or the, in the right country, right? Um, but I will tell you a story. Not so awful long ago, um, there was a Japanese software company that had outshore or offshored, outsourced uh, some of its development on its key product to China. Okay, well, China. You know, hopefully the, the Chinese, uh, you know, Politico is not listening to this right now, and they're going to like hunt me down or something. But China has doesn't really have a great track record in not stealing things, right? I mean, China has a only since Marco Polo. That's right. Yes, China, China has a wee bit of a reputation for reverse engineering things and and just outright lifting, things, adopting right? them as their own, adopting them as their own. Look at our new stealth fighter, right? Yeah, right. Whatever. <laughs> so uh, this Japanese company was so paranoid about China, these developers in China working on their product. They actually had five different Chinese offshore companies, and they gave each one of them a piece of it. They wouldn't give the entire thing to one company. So what does that tell you? I think Apple does that, if I'm not mistaken. They could. They, they, don't, could. they don't let yeah. everybody sort of have the whole The keys formula. to the kingdom, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's... And I'm not, and I'm not here to say that all offshore is bad. It's right. not. Um, I, I've had some successes with offshore development in the past, and I've had some that that were not as successful. Ultimately, it came down to the ones that were successful were the ones that were uh, fully engaged with uh, the team, the larger team, the business team, uh, throughout the development process. They took the time to understand, you know, the drivers behind it and where were we going in best practices. And there was a liaison on the business team 
that ensured that the development team were using best practices and things of that nature. So, you know, not to uh, paint, you, paint you into a corner. So I, I think it goes without saying that you should you should probably go into it with eyes wide open if you do it. Um, but to be fair, I, I would approach it uh, here in the United States as well, the same way. Okay. I'd do it the same way. I wouldn't necessarily give it to five different companies to work on, you know, like the Japanese company I mentioned did. Um, but I would certainly, you know, over here we're protected by NDAs and, and other things that, you know, um, uh, IP agreements and things like that. And then, of course, the U.S. Code of Law, which helps a lot. <laughs> There's right? that, yeah. The minute you put it offshore, you know, and, and I'm not an attorney by, by any stretch of the imagination, though – I have well, given the free legal advice before. <laughs> Don't let that stop. That's you. right. Um, but you know, I think I think you uh, you should probably consult uh, maybe some fellow entrepreneurs that have had successes building things offshore, um, and, and maybe kind of learn from them what you know specifically who they're dealing with and are they reputable. That referral is always going to go a long way. So a recurring theme we're hearing here is that you know the, the business side of the business has to be very closely involved with the technology side. This is not just something you hand over to a bunch of nerds. That's right. And say, have us build something. I mean, you'll get something. You'll get something. It just won't be what you want, most likely. Well, the technical debt will be off the chart. All right. Well, we're we're running out of time, unfortunately. We could talk about this and other things uh, for a long time. So uh, any concluding comments, anything that I should have asked but didn't, or something else that our our listeners need to know about the, the app, Kind of decision process whether to build that app. I haven't even gotten to my my belly dancing bit. That'll be for the video oh, version okay. of the podcast. You know, I, I think you know when you decide you want to build something, I think you have to make a commitment to to the to the project. And it doesn't matter if you're a, a solo founder, a single founder, um, or you're a small team, or you're a company that's looking to build an application. Again, it doesn't matter if it's desktop, you know, web uh, or mobile. Um, I think you've got to, to apply those fundamental business practices to it. Take those practices and basically force feed the development team with those business drivers. Because if you don't, you're like you said, you're going to get something back, but it may or may not. It may do everything on the list functionally, but it may or may not solve the problem at hand. And I think aligning those things is a very key factor that uh, people should go into it with uh, knowing that. So okay. Well, um, this has been great. I'm sure somebody listening to this this podcast will want to learn more. How do people find you? Unfortunately, I'm fairly easy to find on the web. <laughs> so you can just uh, Google my name, Scott Burkett, I suppose, or, or uh, just go to scottburkett.com, and uh, all my links are there somewhere, I think. so. Yeah, you are not hard to find. I am unfortunately not hard to find. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Scott again so much for coming and sharing Thanks his for expertise. Me. This, this has been great. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, and uh, we'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you are faced with your next business decision, you have a clear vision when you're making it. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware & Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.